Bibles to Acts chapter 17. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Week before last, I was at Covenant College, took the kids up uh, to Lookout Mountain, and uh, got a lot of work done, and that was nice. And then we were supposed to last week go to my mother-in-law's house, but with uh, Trudy's death, uh, we flip-flopped some things around, and my family uh, uh, went on vacation, but uh, here in the area so that I could participate in Trudy's memorial. And now my wife has left with two of my children, uh, along with um, along with uh, some of our other uh children and youth and so my daughter my two oldest daughters are here with me if someone will take them for the week um, then I will have a third week of refreshment and all right uh, Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 9 now when they had passed through and Jippy Polis, I knew I was going to struggle with that one, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring him out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Let's pray. Our Father, we are bowing our souls, we are bowing our knees uh, figuratively. Before King Jesus, we are placing ourselves under the authority of His Word. And now I ask that you would give us wisdom and help us to understand your word and uh, and give our give the Lord Jesus his rightful place as king of the universe and king in our hearts we pray in his name amen I don't need to present a lot of facts and statistics to you this morning to prove to you the thesis that our world is upside down we live in a broken world where a lot of things that God says are wrong are considered right, and the things that God says are right are considered wrong. And the thing that everyone or the things that everyone considers wrong are increasingly said to be no one's responsibility due to illness, due to society, 
due to upbringing or whatever. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is upside down from what it ought to be. And we suffer the consequences. And we naturally assume that Jesus' plan is to set this world that is upside down, to set it right side up, to right the wrongs, to establish righteousness and justice, to bring about peace and harmony in the world. And the Bible basically says that that is indeed what Jesus is going to do. I could find hundreds of passages that say that King Jesus is going to set things right. Uh, but I chose two uh, passages to, to, to prove my point, and both are from the book of Isaiah. You know this passage, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, you'll, rem- you'll hear the echo in uh, Handel's Messiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken and figuratively speaking. This passage is saying that King Jesus is going to make everything right. In Isaiah chapter 11, it speaks of Jesus being the branch and also being the banner of the Lord. And in speaking of His Messiahship, it says, And He shall not judge by what His eyes see, or decide disputes by what His ears hear. But with righteousness He shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And He shall strike the earth with the rod of His mouth, and with the breath of His lips He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of His waist, and faithfulness the belt of His loins. The wolf will lie down, or will dwell with the lamb, The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. King Jesus is going to bring universal peace as he sets all things right. But before he rights all the wrongs and turns everything right side up, King Jesus typically brings chaos and upheaval. Does it surprise you that I would say that? But as you look at the Gospels, as you look at the book of Acts, everywhere that the Gospel gains a foothold... Typically, turmoil 
and, and riots or near riots occur. Whole cities were divided where the gospel took root. We saw it as we read our passage this morning. We see it even in Jesus' own testimony. In his own words in Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this upheaval is not limited to nations and world powers. This turmoil, this upheaval, this chaos, if you will, is also promised to individuals as well. Listen to the the overview of Paul's life as he gives it in 2 Timothy. And he's telling Timothy about his life to tell Timothy, don't be surprised when these sorts of things start happening to you. And so, uh, in fact, he gives a, a promise not only to Timothy, but to everyone who lives a godly life. Listen for the promise. Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I had a lot of upheaval in my life when I became a Christian in college. I went off to Georgia Southern College looking forward to being away from parents, looking forward to to all this freedom. I got down to Georgia Southern halfway through my freshman year. I met the Lord Jesus because my, my resident assistant in my dorm had the nerve to read the Bible to my roommate and I every night and would tell us, your moms would be ashamed if they knew that you were down here and never reading the Bible. And so he started reading the Bible. And he would do this every night. And all of a sudden, my roommate and I started reading the Bible. And we became a Christian. And uh, all that peace and joy that um, people talk about when you become a Christian, I didn't experience that that at first. In fact, I lost all my friends. I gained a a very close friend in my resident assistant. I gained a brother in my roommate. But uh, I lost basically all the friends that I had made. My whole whole, uh, lifestyle uh, was beginning to change. It was being challenged. My habits were being challenged. I had to break up with a girlfriend in whom I had invested two years of my life. I wasn't inclined to break up with her. But as Jesus Christ became more and more important, I realized that she didn't have the same goals as I did. I could no longer listen to the music that I love to listen to. Yet it had such a grip on me 
that I felt like I had to destroy it. So I sat up in my dorm room on a Friday night, took a hammer to my cassette tapes, hundreds of dollars worth of cassette tapes, and smashed them all. Um, I could have I could have pursued college baseball, um, but I felt like I needed to focus on my walk with Christ, and so I did not pursue that uh, as ardently as I could have. I tried out once before I became a Christian, but I felt like I could have made it had I continued trying out. I gave up a lot, and I made a lot of big changes in my life because of Jesus Christ, and it was not easy. He caused me great disruption. And now looking back, I can't understand why there was so much anguish over smashing those cassette tapes. Jesus Christ came into the world. Am I overstating it to say to cause upheaval? Because everywhere He goes, everywhere that His gospel takes root... He is turning the world upside down. He is turning individual lives upside down. How does this generally happen that the Lord Jesus turns people's uh, lives and and whole communities upside down? Well, let's look at the passage. Verses 1 through 4. Now, when they had passed through... I practiced this through the week and I'm still not any better at it. Antipolis... And Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And, and, and Paul went in, as was his custom. Note that. He had a custom here. And on three uh, Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. That's not three consecutive days. That's three consecutive weeks. Three consecutive Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Jews, or Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. As Paul went into these synagogues, um... Apparently, he had the credentials of being a Pharisee, and so he could go in uh, freely and stand and preach. And not only preach once, but three consecutive Sabbaths. Uh, I don't know why they allowed him to speak multiple times when they ended up being so opposed to his message. But uh, they allowed him to speak, and that was his practice, his custom. And what did he preach and teach? Verses 2 and 3 tells us. Basically... His subject matter was the Scriptures. He reasoned from the Scriptures. He didn't begin with philosophical arguments. He didn't begin with worldly reasoning. His arguments were from the Scripture. His source of wisdom uh, was the Word of God. The Scriptures are being de-emphasized in churches uh, all over um, today. You wouldn't believe how many people have commented to me at the back of the church um, that uh, they were surprised that I actually opened the Bible and preached from what was what was in the, the Bible. And I'm not trying to point to myself. I'm trying to say that that should be the norm. And they think it's a novel approach that I would preach from the Bible. 
And it's usually uh, our snowbirds who um, are coming down from from churches who who uh, make these comments. Um, what is being substituted, I wonder? I don't get out much uh, into to other pulpits or, or hear, other, hear other preaching. But I wonder, what is it? What's being substituted for the Bible? Uh, certainly emotional stories um, or maybe just a, a, a de-emphasis of the Bible. But the, the Bible is, it is our wisdom. It was Paul's starting point. It was his ending point and must be for us as well. Nothing wrong with stories. I told a little story about how I became a Christian and the things I gave up. But it's the Word of God that changes people's lives. And so that must be the content of our preaching and our teaching. That must be the content of our faith. So he reasoned from the scriptures. Also, look at his method. I'm I'm intrigued by this idea that he went three consecutive times uh, into the synagogue. And what did he do? He proclaimed Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so his strategy was to expose these people uh, repeatedly, multiple times, to the Word of God and to the, 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 the focal point of the Word of God, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. Randy Pope, a PCA pastor in, in Atlanta, is well known for his evangelism and personal evangelism, but he typically will not share the gospel in one sitting. Rather, he likes to make multiple appointments with people uh, to investigate the essential um, questions of Christianity. But uh, those meetings, he says, and the questions that they discuss are not what makes the difference in these people's lives. Rather, he says... I won't meet with them unless they agree to read the Gospel of John. So he'll make four appointments with them, and the Gospel of John's 21 chapters, and so they'll read either five or six chapters per week, uh, so one chapter per day. And he says that it's that reading the Word of God, little bit by little bit, um, that causes uh, them to have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, He uses the example... Um, I'll, I'll try and use this example quickly. But he talks about uh, if, if he wanted to um, murder someone and he hid out uh, to, to go and, and, and murder this person. I'll, I'll use Jason since he's uh, in my line of vision, um, the first guy in my line of vision. And I wanted to murder Jason and I hid out with a big knife and I knocked Jason down and I held up my knife and I'm about to stab him. And, and Jason said... Oh, I thought you were going to hurt, hurt me there for a second. But knives, they can't hurt me. Um, if you had had a gun, that was a different matter. But knives can't hurt me. Well, I think, you know, Jason's a little nutty, you know. And and uh, and I'd finish him off. The Bible is referred to as um, being sharper than any two-edged sword. And so he says, well, I'll talk to them about the gospel as we meet together, but I'm going to send them home with a little dagger, and I'm going to basically, I'm not telling them this, but they're basically stabbing themselves repeatedly with the word of God over this month time as they read uh, the gospel of John. And he says, by the time we finish our meetings, 
they come to faith without me even prodding them. And it's faith, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And the specific content, as we see here in verses 2 and 3 of Paul's preaching, centered on Jesus Christ. He would prove from the scriptures that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. This simple truth, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the most challenging truth that has ever been uttered. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? Consider that question well. Because if you do, it means that that you believe that He is your God. It means that He is your King. It means that He is your main priority. It means that He is the boss of every area of your life. He doesn't own just a narrow sliver of your life between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock on Sundays. There is no area of your life that is free from your obligations to Him. Is there any area of your life that you are unwilling to submit to King Jesus? What about your relationships? Since I mentioned my relationships when I became a Christian. Luke 14, Jesus says, if you're going to be his disciple, you've got to be willing to hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your wife, your children. You cannot love anyone or place anyone above that relationship with him. What about your entertainment, since I mentioned my music? Is your music pleasing to God? What about your television preferences? Are they pleasing to Him? Is your reading pleasing to Him? What about time in general? Do you put God first? Do you put Jesus Christ first in your priorities? Or does He get leftovers? Are you, first of all, devoted to Him? That little truth, that little statement, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is world-changing. Because everything else in life, every truth in life, has to line up with that one truth, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Well, uh, he preached the gospel. Some believed. Many did not. Verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crown. This is classic opposition to the gospel. It typically begins with jealousy. Mark uh, chapter 15 verse 10 says that Jesus was put to death on the cross because of jealousy. Paul was banned from city in Antioch in his first missionary journey uh, because of jealousy. People complain about hypocrites and that's why they won't come to church. They complain about doctrines or they complain about rules. And that's why they don't come to church or believe in God. But at the root of their opposition, we usually find jealousy. 
They want the benefits of Christianity, but they don't want God. They want to rid themselves of the fear of death. They want to go to heaven. They want peace of conscience. They want freedom from guilt. They want the fellowship and happiness that they see and that Christians have. But they aren't willing to give up their wills to have it. It reminds me of a group of slaves and their slave owner. The slaves would be out working in the fields, singing with joy as they did their work. And the slave owner was a bitter, angry man. He tasked the slaves with... Uh, digging a new pit for an outhouse and they were out there in the heat in the mud and the mire digging away and as they dug they sang hymns of faith and they had great joy and contentment as they did their work finally the owner just could not stand it any longer He was driven to jealousy and he asked the slaves, How can I have the same joy that you have? The slaves said that that he couldn't have that joy. He couldn't have that contentment unless he was willing to get down in that pit and dig that dirt with them. And he was unwilling to do it. But it kept tearing at him. After a couple of weeks, hearing them singing, seeing their joy, wanting what they wanted, what they had, he finally said, I'll get down in that pit and I'll dig with you. And the slave said, you don't have to. You just had to be willing to do it. When I came to Jesus Christ, I gave up a lot of things. A lot of things that were precious to me. And those things I had to give up. Um, God was, He changed me. He reoriented my entire soul. But you know what else He did when He ripped those things away? He gave me great friends that are closer to me than a brother. He gave me a wonderful wife. God taught me how shallow my music was. You're asking, well, what did the pastor listen to? I don't know if I want to say it. ACDC, um, Led Zeppelin, Kiss. So and so, it's kind of easy um, and changed my taste. Um, and God never let me play college baseball, but I got to play college basketball, and He didn't have to allow me to do that. But the point is, I was willing to give those things up for God that I gave up. Because I know that I needed to. Just like Hannah gave up her son. Just like Samuel gave up his mother. And God returned the blessings. In conclusion, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Whether we believe it or not. And the fact that He is demands a response. And it always gets a response. Either there is belief, as we saw in verse 4, or opposition, as we saw in verse 5, or there is no response, which is the worst response that a person can give. Letting the Bible bounce off of you.
deadens your soul to the things of God. And so I am calling you to a response this morning. What will it be? Wholehearted belief and faith in Jesus Christ? Or opposition? Don't stand in the middle. God says that He vomits out a a lukewarm person. He wishes that we would be hot or cold. And then finally... Is there anything that would prevent you from coming to the Lord Jesus? Yes, He will cause upheaval. Yes, He will make changes in your life that won't feel pleasant at the time. Uh, John chapter 10, uh, John chapter 15, sorry, I don't know how I got those goofed up. I think I goofed them up a couple of weeks ago. He talks about Him pruning us. That's a violent process. But when He prunes us, when He rips those things away, He is setting us upright. He is restoring us to what we should be. And whatever He takes away, He will also replenish with His blessings. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray for a response from every person here this morning. Father, I pray that there would not be none here um, in whom your word just bounces off, but I pray that it would accomplish the task for which you have purposed it, that it would not return to you void. God, I ask that you would bring uh, that you would work faith in all of our hearts and help all of us to bring our lives in line with King Jesus who in turning the world upside down is really making it all right. We pray in His name. Amen.